to be able to share with you this morning. Do you remember the first time you uh, got behind the wheel and you had a what was going through your mind? I kind of remember, actually, the first time I got behind uh, in the driver's seat of a car, and it was a, I don't remember exactly, it was kind of the shape of a Crown Victoria car, it was big, and the, my parents decided, I just passed my uh, driver's ed test not that long ago with a completely safe score of missing seven, which was the maximum you could miss, but it's all right. They, uh, they said, oh, why don't you drive on the way home from church? We'd gone already a few blocks, I think I remember, and they said, oh, why don't you drive home the rest of the way? So I get behind the car, and I'm like, uh, this is kind of nerve-wracking. And so fortunately, uh, there's no way I could get injured or my, injure my family because the car was too big, but and we only went about 25 all the way home, but uh, I still remember trying to not only study for the test, but just driving as a as a 14-year-old, trying to figure out all the rules of the road, trying to follow all the rules, because ideally, right, the, the promise sort of is you follow all the rules, and you're promised to be safe and secure and get to your location if everyone follows all the rules, and it's all, it should be all good. Well, I I don't know. I still don't know all the rules. I just remember back then thinking, well, look, on TV, when people drive, they go like this a lot, so I should probably do that. It turns out that's not how it works. But uh, So I, I did learn some of the rules, though, you, although I forgot most of them, you know, like how many feet you're still supposed to stay behind a school bus when the stop sign's out, or how many car lengths between a car when you're traveling, and how many you're supposed to count seconds or something like that, or can they turn left on this road, which still confuses me in Pekin. There's too many places to turn left on a red light. This gets confusing to me. But I try to follow the rules, but essentially that still doesn't guarantee our safety. And eventually, I don't think any of us ever accomplished following all the rules. Well, today we're going to look at a little bit of a life like that with the life of Paul and see what Paul had to say about a life of, of following the rules. We're going to look at... Uh, we're going to look at pretty much at all at Romans 8, but I, I realize that it's a little bit too long for us to read together this morning. So we're going to read the first part of Romans 8 and the, and the last part, and we'll, we'll uh, talk about a little bit in the middle, but you can read that again later um, yourself. So if you'd like to turn with me, Romans 8, and I think most of your pew Bibles is page 1142. Romans 8 is... The title that people have added to the chapter there at this part is called Life in the Spirit. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. For the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you, through Christ Jesus, from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses could not save us because of our sinful nature. But God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent his own son in a human body like ours, except that ours are sinful. God destroyed sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the requirement of the law would be fully accomplished for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. If your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. 
That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them are not Christians at all. Since Christ lives within you, even though your body will die because of sin, your spirit is alive because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as he raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal body by this same Spirit living within you. So, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation whatsoever to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you keep on following it, you will perish. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit you turn from it and its evil deeds, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children adopted into his family, calling him Father, dear Father. For his Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we will share his treasures. For everything God gives to his Son, Christ is ours too. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. We're going to skip to verse 31 now. What can we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't God, who gave us Christ, also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Will God? No. He is the one who has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? Will Christ Jesus? No, for he is the one who died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting at the place of highest honor next to God pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or cold or in danger or threatened with death? Even the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't, and life can't, the angels can't, and the demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep God, God's love away. Whether we are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So Romans, it's one of the letters in the New Testament from Paul that we look to a lot for some heavy theological stuff sometimes and some important words, and it's one of the more well-known and Famous books, I guess you'd say, that he wrote. And Romans 8, I would say, is one of the more famous, well-known chapters. Not that he marked out the chapters, we did that later. But that's, this section, as you can see, um, has quite a few of, your, of those famous memory verses that we, we learn as children and, and learn later on in life also. And so Paul is going through some pretty big stuff here. And so let's, look, let's talk a little bit about Paul. Paul... As some of us know, he started his life as Saul. And as Saul, he was a good good follower of God in, in Jewish tradition. And he had a lot of good discipline and worked hard. And he followed as many rules as he could. He worked hard to, to be a, um, a, good, a good follower of God's law. But 
There came along a time when, when Jesus got a hold of him, of course, and things changed, and he became Paul, and now he realizes that he had a problem. Even if we go back to Romans 7, just the chapter before, it's, talks, it's one of the famous passages about him struggling with wanting to do good but not being able to do it on his own. And that's essentially what he's, he found out. He can try to follow all the rules, he can try to follow all the laws, but he failed over and over again. It didn't work to try to reach God through the law. Now the problem wasn't, and the problem still isn't, the law specifically. It wasn't that he was saying, oh, yeah, the law's bad, that's the problem. No, here we see, he says, the problem is our sinful nature. So here, in, basically overall in this chapter, we see Paul looking at the world in two different systems. Two different worldviews, if you will. Two different competing ways of experiencing and seeing life. There's the way of the sinful nature, and there's the way of life in the Spirit. So we're going to spend today a little bit just doing some comparing and contrasting of those, of those ways. First, though, I want to, we're going to talk a little bit, get, make sure we get understanding the, the language that we're using. Pretty much, I looked at some other translations. Any other translation that you guys maybe read before or grew up with, the uh, NIV or the King, New King James or the um, lots of others, NRSV, they don't use the, the term spirit, sinful nature. They actually use the, the term flesh. They'll ring a bell with people. People talk about Paul kind of harping on the flesh. Can't be a follower of the flesh. But I'm glad that we are using this version today, and especially um, the little the nuances that um, they made in the New Living Translation. Because if we read, avoid the flesh, you know, the flesh is sinful, the flesh is bad, avoid that, that often leads, leads us to a misuse and a misunderstanding of what Paul was trying to say. Paul was not trying to say all physical things are bad. That's when we think of flesh. We think of physical bones and muscle and so anything physical must be bad, but that's not what he meant. Let's look at uh, a, ver- a verse that I, I skipped over, but it's important. In verse 23 says, And even we Christians, although we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, also grown to be released from pain and suffering. We too wait anxiously for that day when God will give us our full rights as his children, including the new bodies he has promised us. So notice, he does talk about being released from pain and suffering, so we're like, yeah, let's get rid of these, this physical stuff that causes pain. But that's, he doesn't say that we're going to just get rid of the physical stuff. He says he's going to include new bodies that he has promised us. And this is even true about creation. Sometimes we think, oh, all that matters is the spiritual realm and the creation is just here for now. But verse 21, earlier it says, all creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. You catch that? Did it just say all people or all souls, all spirit? No, it says all creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. So here it's pretty clear if we read in context and read, and, and, and the NLT helps us in that, that Paul is not talking about saying all physical things are bad and all spiritual things are, are better. But he's saying... His, when he uses the word flesh in other translations, he, he actually means sinful nature or being, being controlled by sin. So we're going to talk about our first basic contrast, basically a sinful nature, or the, the whole contrast of sinful nature versus life in the spirit. Is not, it's not a story about physical things versus spirit things. It's about what we have our minds set on, what our desires are set on versus 
and, and what we put in charge of our life. Who do we put in charge of our life? Ourselves or the Spirit? And when I say ourselves, I mean our whole selves, body, mind, and soul. Even though we use different words for different parts, it's all a whole, our whole self. So when we look at these, setting our minds on different things, it's, the, the law is another key topic that Paul brings up that we look at differently when we're following the Spirit versus when we're following our sinful nature. The law, as we know um, from maybe recent sermons also, is, was a hot topic, for, not only for Paul, but also for Jesus. We know that neither of them ever said, the law is bad, we should just get rid of it, and it's a past thing. But they did have lots of commentary about um, how the law can be misused and abused. Last week, we, Mike shared a lot about the Sabbath law specifically and, and how Jesus did, had to do some correcting of the people in his life about the Sabbath law. And now Paul is kind of basically doing some correcting about how we look at the whole laws overall. What Paul here, though, is, is about the law is really focusing on is that it's not a way to life. It's not a way to reach salvation. It's not a way to, to be re, reunited to, with God. Verse 3 says it pretty clearly. The law of Moses could not save us because of our sinful nature. But God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent his own, his own son in a human body like ours, except that ours are sinful. God destroyed sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. So it's pretty, that's just one instance of Paul being pretty clear that the law does not save us. He, God sent Jesus. Jesus saves, we know. The law does not save. Now many of us know, and maybe heard this, taught, and we know this intellectually, in our minds, in a way, kind of theory, we know that Jesus is the one who saves us and and. Um, reconciles us to God and the law doesn't do it but we still try to justify ourselves we still think eh, I know it's free and everything yeah but if I just work hard enough I'll be a little bit better than the other guy or I'll be a little bit more worthy of being in, in, the, in uh, God's good graces if I just figure out the right rules that's really what I should be doing right then I'll raise my standing in God's eyes I'll be a little bit more approved than the other but Paul is saying that's, that is the way of the sinful nature. Trying to follow the law um, to justify ourselves puts the focus back on ourselves. Puts it back on our, our own desires, our own ego. It leads to being slaves to the law. It does not lead to life, peace, and sal true salvation. Instead, when we're trying to justify ourselves by using the law and... and, and make ourselves worthy, it leads to feelings of guilt and fear and shame and selfishness. Now again, we know this, many of us know this, some of us, maybe some of it's new to you, but which is, can be good news, but if some of us have heard it many times in our life that we know it's, it's, all, it's all about Jesus and, not, and not, you can't follow the law, and we have Jesus to clean the slate and it's all good, and so maybe I'm preaching to myself, but maybe I'm the only one that knew this way back when I was a little, little tyke. And I knew it at a young age, but I've still spent lots and lots of time and energy 
going back to the law to justify myself. Try to make myself feel a little bit better. Try to earn my status. If you, um, if you were here on Palm Sunday, uh, um, I preached and shared a little bit about my background and the, the, the culture of faith that I grew up in. Um, we talked a lot about what the true gospel was, the full gospel was on, on Palm Sunday, and that it's bigger than just a simple sin transaction. And so I'm going to talk a little bit again about my past. And I, back in, the, in my past, I remember as a child, you know, I, I prayed to Jesus to come to my heart, which was not a bad thing. But it took me a while to figure out, and it's probably pretty debatable if I've figured it out yet, but we're, we're on a path. It took me a while to figure out that professing my faith or believing in Jesus or making confession or asking Jesus into my heart, all those things and... and um, formulas can still lead to me being trapped in a system of law. Trying to just find the right formula to get the right result. It still leads to self-centeredness. It still leads to me feeling guilty. Trust me, it did. It still leads to shame and fear. It still leads to a life of struggling to be good enough, to do enough, to say the right things, believe the right things, now, I'm not saying as a young one or a teenager or whatever that I wasn't a Christian. I do believe I, I was a Christian then, even though I had a, some maybe mistaken notions about, um, about the law. But, but that's part of the issue, is that it's not an all-or-nothing type of situation. We don't just all of a sudden say, oh, yeah, I figured that out. It's all free. Nah, don't have to worry about that anymore. Maybe that happens for somebody, but for me, it's been a constant journey. Some days you put the Spirit in charge. Set your minds on the Spirit. Some days you don't. So speaking of, though, the Spirit being in charge or ourselves being in charge, how do we know? How do we know who's in charge? Well, a key one is, what's our motivation? When we come up upon a decision, do we choose one decision over another based on guilt or not feeling guilty, shame, feeling like we're obligated, feeling it'll raise our self-worth? Or do we make a decision based on what is good, good for the other person? What is good, what is life-giving? What is loving? One of those ways leads to more struggle to continue to fight to keep up appearances. It leads to more feelings of guilt and shame. The other can lead to peace because you finally realize You're just here to accept God's grace. One leads to being a slave to yourself. The other leads to to freedom in knowing that you're a child of God. Now be careful. You can turn this into a law also. And if anything can be turned into a law, I can do it. But this is not another law to accomplish. It's not another law to say, Ah, stop being selfish. Stop feeling guilty. Be more loving. Write those down on tablets and keep them. It's, it's not more laws. It's another way of experiencing and seeing life. A more true way. You might call it letting go. Or a more traditional Christian way of saying it is a dying to self. It's not about doing anything. It's about giving up control. 
no longer trying to manipulate God and, and hopefully work it out so that your status gets raised if you do the right things. It's a, it's a giving up on the process of trying to justify yourself. It's giving up on and of striving and working to be good enough. And it's just about accepting grace. It's about resting in your status as a child of God. It's about living with a hope as a co-heir with Christ. So let's look at another way to illustrate that, though. Um, Paul talks a lot about, in this chapter, and I think uh, it's one of my favorite metaphors and experiences that we're children of God. So let's look a little closer at that idea of being children of God, or being children. And let's look about our own earthly relationship with our own children. What, if we're thinking about parenting and our own, and our own children, what kind of system or worldview in, of these two would we want them to live in? Do we want, would we want our children to strive to follow the law in order to, to reach a relationship with us? Do we want them to, to look at the law as a way to connect with us, our rules? Now, I mean, to be honest, if they followed the rules and, of, of, of life that we tried to preach and, and tell to them, it might lead to some more worldly success. It might lead to less getting, less getting into trouble. But it still leads to a life of struggle over and over again. A life of fear and guilt and shame, trying to earn their status as, as children. We don't want our children feeling that struggle, that pain. I mean, we do want children who follow and are obedient and are respectful, but not out of a sense of duty or fear that if they don't do it right, that they get cut off. Now, it's not saying we throw out all the rules. Kids, listen, we're not throwing out all the rules. But it's about how our children see the world. How they see their status is accomplished. We don't want them to feel like their status of beloved children is dependent on their actions or that they have to earn it. We want them to have security and peace in their status of being beloved. That gives them a freedom to grow into who they were created to be. Now, if that's what we would want, why do we think God, our Father, would be any different? Now, this sounds, sounds pretty good news so far, but Paul goes on a little bit and he gives a little bit more, one, one more characteristic of, uh, of what a life in the Spirit brings. And he says, there's going to be suffering. Not a suffering, he, he's not calling on a suffering where we seek out and try to impress other people with how hard we sacrifice and, and, and our martyrs, that those things can happen, but it's not about us seeking it out to look good. But he's saying this world has pain. And one of the benefits of being a child of God, I'm afraid, is not a guaranteed, comfortable, free, pain-free living. Kind of like in our homes, one of the guarantees I can't guarantee our children is that they'll never have pain or they'll never go through trials. Life can be hard. But what Paul does point out is that we have a hope through the pain, which is based both on what, we, what is presently true and what is to come. 
the already and the not yet for the theological phrases you like again. We have adopted, we have been adopted as children of God, but our full inheritance is yet to come. But we st- so we still have to s- decide which system do we want to live in. We don't really have to decide what's true or not. God being our father and wanting us to be his children is true no matter what you think about it or not. We have to decide how we're going to experience it, how we're going to see it, how we're going to live in it. Do we want to live in our sinful nature, trying to earn our way still? Trying to avoid guilt by doing just enough and avoid shame and and being somewhat and being fearful that we might do the wrong thing. In, in other words, focusing on ourselves. Or do we want to live life in the spirit, which is a life of grace and mercy and love and freedom? Now the good news is, if you didn't catch this yet, you don't have to earn it. You just receive it. You just receive the truth that you belong to God. It's one of the reasons baptism is so important to us, and it's one of the reasons I, I love um, infant baptism, and, or baptism of all ages, but especially why it's okay for me that we baptize these little babies that have no decision-making processes is because the main promise is that God says, you are loved, you are my child, I'm claiming you. It's a symbol of what is true. A sign of what God tells us. So letting go of our shame and our fear is a way of just remembering in our baptism. Even if you can't physically remember your baptism, I can't because I was a baby, but you remember what it means that you're washed in the water. So we're going to have a physical demonstration of that to help you sink that in a little bit because we remember we're whole selves. They're not just spiritual things and we're not just physical people. We have our whole self is involved in, in being a part of the life in the Spirit, the life in the Holy Spirit. So we're going to have a physical demonstration of that. So I need you to find a piece of paper or something. I, our bulletins are plenty long, so you can take off any page in our bulletin that you want. Find a blank piece of paper. But the idea is that you're going to write down on there well, first I should say, all the things I'm going to say are optional because we're, there's no condemnation, right? All this is optional. Free to do what you choose and what you don't want to do is free to not do. No guilt or shame. But I thought we'd take a moment and we're going to play some music while we do this. And uh, Alyssa's going to help me and she's going to be the first one to proceed forward so you can kind of see how it goes. But the idea is just... In your mind, when you think about having a life of freedom, having a life, a life um, of, no, of, of get, letting go of guilt and shame, a life of no condemnation, what's that nagging thought in your mind that says, ah, eh, but that's not really going to work? Ah, eh, but you did, yeah, you did this back then, remember? Or you still have this problem. What's that weight that stays on you? that won't let you truly experience grace and freedom. It could be an actual thing that happened in the past. It could be just a a belief or a thought. I don't want to kind of narrow it down to too many things, but essentially, what's weighing you down? What makes you feel condemned? And then we're going to...
take whatever size piece of paper you want, and we're going to come down here. And if you don't, if you haven't known this before, this is our old baptismal. We have a new baptismal now, but this was a baptismal uh, we used not that long ago. Some of us have been baptized here, right, Isaac? And I wanted to, to use the symbolism of baptism again to help us remind ourselves. And so there's no water in this baptism, but I want you to bring your papers up if, you're, if you'd like to and put them in the baptismal to be washed away and to, to be cleansed. No one's going to look at them. No one's going to read them. Um, they're going to go in and be gone, um, hopefully to, be, to help give you a release and give you a freedom to understanding that you're a child of God. Then after you go there, you're free to come over to the, the prayer bench, and you can either kneel or not kneel, depending on if, you, if you're comfortable with that or not. And, and Alyssa and I are going to be over here um, ready to remind you again of your baptism. And we'll give you a, a short blessing um, with baptismal water. If you haven't been baptized before, you can still come forward and, and go through this process and just look at this as kind of a, a first step, and we'd love to talk to you about, about baptism um, in the future and maybe come and do that uh, at another celebration service. So take a, take a moment. We're going to play some music. And in a few seconds after you've seen Alyssa come and join me, feel free, as you feel led, to, to uh, give up your burdens Share your uh, share what's weighing you down with God, and, and and try to to let it go and and feel God's peace and freedom. Jesus.